Greetings, business professionals, and welcome to another video edition of Building Better Businesses. I am your host, Steve Eschbach, and I'm delighted to have you join us on another one of our episodes. I am one of a few Transworld Business Advisor owners here in Chicagoland, and we specialize in assisting business owners confidentially sell and match them with qualified buyers. Transworld, by the way, is the world's largest and fastest growing business brokerage firm. I also own a number of other entities that are designed to assist business owners enhance value. You know, I have been a corporate executive and a business owner for more than 40 years, so you would think I would know everything possible about running a business efficiently. Well, you would be further from the truth. In fact, I am delighted to say that many of my successes have been attributable to you out there who have, quote, been there, done that in a world that never seems to stop changing. So I'm delighted now to present another episode whereby we can learn from a subject matter expert on how to enhance your business operations. Now on to the next edition of Building Better Businesses. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on what time of day it is that you are listening in. My name is Steve Eschbach. I own a business called Transworld Business Advisors of Naperville, primarily a mergers and acquisitions company, and I welcome you to another edition of Building Better Businesses. I am delighted to have a guest, Veronica Sagastumi, who is a CFO-type consultant. We're going to get a little more of her background shortly, but first of all, thank you so much for being here. Veronica, thank you for your time. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here. I'm excited to have this conversation. Good. Well, as you know, we are talking about building better businesses, but what we want to do first is find out a little bit more about you. So I know that you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, but uh, there must have been a, a little bit of a history behind where you are today. So tell me a little bit about your upbringing, where you got your start, your childhood, how your mom and dad influenced you and the like. So uh, yeah, let's start where you want to be. <laughs> We're going way, way back. No problem. I love that. So I was born in San Francisco General Hospital. I like to say that because now it's been renamed to the Mark Zuckerberg General Hospital. But, you know, the OG, we always, all of us originals call it the San Francisco General Hospital. But I grew up in another country. I grew up in San Salvador, Central America from age two to 11. And I was raised by my grandparents in San Salvador. And so I speak read, write, fluent Spanish, and I learned English as my second language. And even though I took English classes in San Salvador, when we got back here at age 11, it wasn't uh, conversational English. I had to learn it all over again. So I often will joke around about how I didn't really read to learn to read and write English until age 11, which is true. Wow. But I will say that I was surrounded by a lot of male figures in my life, my grandfather, four uncles and a brother, and they influenced me for sure in education and numbers. Numbers were always very easy for me. And so that is something that was in my blood from early, early on, but so was entrepreneurship. Since we're going way back, I will share this quick story that when I was, I think around nine, my grandmother who lived in San Francisco, my paternal grandmother, sent me this flower making kit, like a little paper, you know, flower making kit, And she had also sent me a little uh, vial of like spray perfume. So I got busy making these big paper flowers and I would spray them with perfume and God help anybody that walked through the front door of my home or walked in front of my path because I was selling them those flowers (laughs) and doing the hard sell. Like, doesn't your girlfriend deserve a pretty flower that smells delicious? Don't you want to tell your mom how much you love her? I mean, at age nine, I was doing this. And so- 
Well, that's a little uh, than my career. I started off with lemonade stands on my front lawn, but uh, that sounds a counts. little more exciting. <laughs> it counts. And so with that, it's like uh, arrived in San Francisco at age 11. And then I was also raised by my paternal grandparents at that time in San Francisco in the Noe Valley District. And so I was, I was fortunate enough to be raised by two sets of grandparents that instilled a lot of great work ethic in me from two different spectrums. You know, one was in another country in San Salvador. My grandfather was the president of a bank and uh, my grandmother was a stay-at-home wife. And here in the United States, in San Francisco, my other grandparents, they both worked hard to buy homes and put their kids through school. And they were more blue collar where it was, you know, just working. My grandfather worked with his hands here and my grandmother, whether she was a seamstress or cleaned homes, I got both spectrums, but they both shared a strong work ethic and an emphasis on education, which is where I got my love. I've always loved books and learning. So they got me on the right path. Thank goodness. So is your college education a good background for where you are today? Did you actually go into finance and accounting? I did. I did. I went to private school all my life, including an all-girl high school. And even then, I loved art. But I remember one of my teachers, Mr. Archibald, I think his name was, and I took a bookkeeping class, you know, and it was super easy for me. And he said, you may want to consider a career in accounting. And I remember saying to him, but I want to be an artist. And he says, that's great. You won't make any money as an artist. So why don't you have a fallback career and go into accounting? Which, you know, uh, an impressionable young kid, I took his advice and I, I did go and get my accounting degree, but I loved numbers and I loved the idea of software and computers. And in those days, you know, when I graduated from high school and went into college, that was just like the beginning of all of that. And without, I don't care about my age, you know, I mean, I, I graduated from high school in the mid eighties. And so that is when like, there was so much happening and you could have your pick of so many different things. And I decided to get my accounting degree but as soon as I graduated and when I was getting recruited, I started to marry the software technology with my accounting background. And so that led me to a really, really exciting and profitable corporate career while I was there. So I see in your background that you did have some corporate experience, a corporate CEO, corporate CFO. Tell us a little bit about that because you eventually are now doing consulting. So tell mm -hmm. me a little bit about your corporate executive roles with probably a more traditional corporate uh, companies and uh, how that moved you to where you are today? I always knew that I did not want to go the public accounting path. I knew that from early on. We Back then, it was the big eight firms, which has dwindled down now, but everyone looked really unhappy to me. And someone suggested, one of my professors, he suggested that I go and interview with private sector companies, which they would come to school anyway. And I started to do that. And I realized that there was this whole world of software technology, this thing called Silicon Valley, even before it was truly the Silicon Valley. And that interested me a lot. So I started my career in corporate. Absolutely. I spent 20 years in corporate. I was a very aggressive person when it came to my career, even though I consider myself an introvert. I was very aggressive with my career. Anything that people that I thought was like a systems conversion, 
going public. I didn't even know what that meant, an IPO. I would volunteer because I thought there was an opportunity to learn and to also be part of something that could mean or have an impact on that business and, and be part of that team. So I quickly got promoted and went up the ranks, whether it was from a staff accountant to assistant controller, controller, director of finance, and just made my way up to CFO or COO, which you know, our chief operating officer becomes the CEO's right-hand person. And oftentimes it was very little sleep, no time off, no holidays, no weekends, Uh, but I loved it. I don't want to mislead anyone in thinking that I was just like miserable. I loved it. I loved the pace. I loved the, the being in the Silicon Valley when it was with the Ebays of the world, the PayPals, the Googles when they were just coming up and being part of uh, hanging out with somebody, with a group of people, having dinner at eight o'clock, knowing that we were going to have to go back to the office at 9.30. It was exciting. And I'm glad I didn't know what I was getting myself into because I probably wouldn't have done it. (laughs) Interesting. So you were in corporate for a while. And then I understand you might've had a life-changing event, whereas you now are consulting. Did you want to share a little bit about that? Sure. I think like many people, whether regardless of, you know, you're having, you're getting married, want to relocate, having a, a family, or you have an ailing parent. In my case, my last grandparent, my beloved grandmother, that she was my original life coach. You know, she was the person that, the one that I was closest to and she just, uh, the way for me to be the person that I am, I, I just give her credit for all of that. She broke her ankle and needed to go into a, not only did she need surgery, but she need to, needed that physical therapy. She was already in her early 90s. Wow. And at that time, we have a very close-knit family. So there was not just me, but other members of my family that wanted to help out and be present. But I was very close to her, so I knew that I could get her to do things that the others couldn't. And I also wanted to be more involved with going to her doctor's appointments and and be more involved with her physical therapy than not be there. But my work did not allow me to do that. And so there was this conflict, constant conflict throughout the day, every single day. When I was with her, I was feeling guilty that I wasn't with my team. When I was with my team, I was feeling guilty that I wasn't with her. When I would drive home, there was nothing left. And I was showing up as the worst version of myself for the people that mean the most to me. And so after a few months of that, I had to really think, okay, my health is out the window. There is no balance. My relationships are all suffering. I can't keep this up. Something's going to give. I felt like something was going to happen either to me and my health or that I would have a regret. The regret of not being there with my grandmother at a time when she needed me, at a time when I wanted to, I knew, you know, that she wasn't going to be around forever. She was already in her early 90s. And I didn't want to have that regret. And that's what helped me to make the decision to, okay, I can't sustain this. I need to do something about it. There's got to be a better way. And when I got quiet, is when I realized I've helped all these other businesses scale, grow, you know, do mergers, acquisitions, IPOs. Surely I can come up with something that I can offer <laughs> to clients that they'll pay me for. Right. And there's, there's where the network comes in. You know, 20 years of corporate, uh, you have people that you worked with, worked for, that you met at conferences, workshops, it, whatever events. Maybe I volunteered a lot, so I met people through that. Associations, there's just so many people in your contacts that you start to think about, who do I know in my network that may benefit or would want me to be part of their team, but in a different way. And Steve, between me making the decision to leave corporate so that I could have the flexibility in my day to be present with my grandmother, 
and to also have a little bit more balance. Starting a business is not easy. I'm not going to say, oh, yeah, you know, I left corporate and then I got all my freedom. No, but it allowed me to have the flexibility to work with clients that knew from day one that I, I needed to be flexible in certain things of my day. And from, you know, it took about six months from me making the decision to making the transition to have that consulting firm and have that flexibility. And I can tell you that the network that I had built, sending out the nurturing sequence, not telling them right away, hey, hire me. No, it's about reigniting the relationship, you know, reconnecting, reminding them how we know each other or provide something of value. I saw this in your company. Hey, I saw this article. I thought this might be helpful. Or, uh, you know, slowly make the introduction into saying to them, I don't know if you're aware, but I'm going to start consulting in a couple of months. If you or, you know, someone who would be interested in X, Y, Z, making it super easy for them to either refer me or be able to say, I need that. And it didn't take very long, you know, between making the decision, reaching out. And then when I actually reached out to book consultations, consulting calls and getting them to become a client, it didn't take very long at all. You know, I get a sense just by hearing your story that while you wanted to be there for your grandmother while she was in her need physically and, mm-hmm. and medically, it sounds like she had a very instilling influence while you were growing up for the finance accounting numbers mm-hmm. and the entrepreneurial spirit. So while there was a very strong family connection, I get a sense that, that there was some business connection as well. Did I get that right? Absolutely. And, you know, it would be so great when I would show up to see my grandmother at 10 a.m. on a Wednesday morning and she would say, what are you doing here? Aren't you going to get fired? And I loved being able to tell her, well, grandma, I'm my own boss now, so I can, I go, (laughs) my boss is going to be okay. But it was also just watching her build, have her own business or, you know, have her own entrepreneurial spirit with her work ethic and being able to explain to her that I had also done the same thing. And everyone in my life, including my clients, knew that my priority was my grandmother. But because I had that flexibility, now I had peace of mind that she came first and I had taken care of her. Now I could truly focus on delivering a service for my clients and be 100% present instead of being guilt-ridden all the time. Makes a lot of sense. So tell me a little bit about what you believe your ideal client is. And before you answer that question, let me preface this by saying that you are a networking and don't take this the wrong way, you're a networking nut. So you like to be involved with people, but I think you know what type of client you can do the best for. So is -hmm. there an ideal client for you in terms of how you can help them? Absolutely. And I appreciate you saying that because it is true. I believe relationships, networking is relationship building. And I, to this day, I have relationships My grammar school friends are still friends of mine. High school friends are still friends of mine. And so there is a way to nurture them without you being overwhelmed or coming across as sleazy or salesy. And to that point being my ideal client has changed over time. When I started my CFO consulting firm 10 years ago in 2010, you know, that ideal client is still true today. I don't promote my consulting practice that comes from referrals. And that client continues to be very much the same client. The clients that I primarily work with now in my online business, I consider myself being an ex-CFO turned content strategist, and I primarily help accounting, bookkeeping, and tax businesses to create content 
that will lead to clients and to do so with ease so that they can, you know, grow their businesses online because there is such an opportunity in the online space that doesn't limit people with their geography and their local community. So most accounting, bookkeeping and tax businesses have traditionally relied on in-person type of consultations or business owners or, or even individuals. And that has changed, especially coming out of 2020 in this pandemic world where we were all sent home. And that just created an incredible opportunity for someone like me to show traditional businesses like the accounting, bookkeeping and tax professionals and business owners how they can show up online, appeal to their client base and grow their businesses beyond their local community. So I got to ask you a question because you and I are finance and accounting by education and experience. So you and I both know that balance sheet, income statement, cash flow, there's not much content to that. There really isn't. No. So how do do you convert that? How do you engage your client in terms of this is what you got to do numbers wise. This is what you got to do communications wise. Because you and I think the same thing. I mean, communication is key, but numbers Mm -hmm. are, and numbers and metrics are critically important for determining success. So tie all that together for me if you could. Absolutely. My favorite thing to talk about because most accountants or tax professionals, they're so in the numbers. They're so, you know, literal about like, you know, it's important to have the numbers. They got to balance and, you know, okay, but you have to tell a story because the people you're trying to help, they don't, if they knew about the numbers and how important they were, they would have already done it. Why would they need you? So you need to paint the picture and you do that through storytelling, case studies, or how, you know, you don't have to divulge the client's name. Oftentimes we say, you know, I had a client who came to me. I literally will share this story, Steve, where I've had clients in my CFO consulting life where I would show up to these startup companies and they literally would hand me three Safeway grocery bags full of whatever they had shoved in there. And then they were going to go get funding and now they needed the balance sheet, the income statement, da, da, da. And so I can paint a story about, you know, how do you go from Safeway grocery bag receipts to financial statements that will get you the funding that you're looking for. It's about painting the picture that will provide, you know, the benefit. And so if I'm speaking to an accounting firm and they want to get more clients, first we're talking about who is the client that you want to get because you can't speak to everybody. And I have one of my uh, accounting associates. They are an accounting firm for vets. That's it. Vet veterinarians, and they can get so specific with their language about how they can help to increase their revenue, how they can help them to create other services or product lines that will increase the top line without adding any additional expenses. Then I've got another client who's a tax uh, service provider. And for him, we developed this like masterclass. It's a freebie where it's like 10 ways that you can save on your next tax return. And so it's about providing a benefit. It's like, oh, the three secrets that you never knew were hidden in your travel, you know, your mileage expenses. So you start thinking about who it is that you want to attract as a client. If I'm an accounting firm or bookkeeping or a tax professional, you have to niche down. You have to get specific. And so I tell them, get specific with who you want to serve. And then your messaging, your stories, your examples, your case studies that you begin to share are so much more relevant because they will pay attention. If I'm a hairstylist and you're talking to me about getting my business, but all of a sudden you start talking about being, you know, helping dental offices, you lose me. 
But if you can speak to me as a hairstylist and you're saying how the importance of, you know, reporting my tips or how you can increase the profit by just adding these two different things to your service offering. So it's about storytelling. And I often say accountants can be storytellers too. (laughs) Numbers don't lie. And so a lot of times the way that we can, numbers will tell us a story, won't they, Steve? Numbers don't lie. There's sometimes that little bit of gray area in the way that you, you know, the accounting, gap accounting and all of that, but you'll lose your audience. How you're going to grab your audience is by sharing a story that they may be able to recognize themselves in and relate to it and be like, oh my God, that's me. So now they're going to start paying attention to when you have a tip and that's when you're creating content to attract clients to you or prospects that will ultimately become clients, you have to mix it up. It can't always be read this article. There's a new policy. You kind of maybe sometimes mix it up with your own storytelling about your journey and how you started your business and why you started your business. So they get to know the person behind the business. Who are they hiring? Yeah, they want to hire an accountant, but wouldn't it be nice for them to hire someone that they can connect with and relate to? And the way that they do that is by you sharing a little bit more about your journey, your story, your your practice, your clients, how you work with them, but don't make it so dry and to get away from the dryness is you start to share stories, case studies. Absolutely. So if you were, uh, let's just say out of the blue, and I know you don't do this because you get a lot of referrals, but let's say you had to make a cold call and you are going to try to engage a new client. What would be the three things that you would want them to tell you so that you can best understand who it is they are and how you can help them? So what are the three things you need to know about them? I will say that before I even cold call them, I would have done my homework in terms of, you know, researching, looking at their profile, if they had any social media or what articles, what blog, their website, I would have done my homework already so that I could then show up and ask the questions is like, who are the people that you love to work with that are also, you know, right now generating the most revenue and who are the ones that are it's always important to me, the good and the bad, who do you not want to work with and, and start to ask, questions just based on their answers there, I would ask additional questions to that. It's not just about that one question. So that's, you have to become a really good listener. And I love the online space for that because you're either doing it on the phone, on a Zoom call, Skype, there's so many different ways, but you have to become a really good listener because in their answer, they're going to give you their, your next question so that you can do a deeper dive. So for me, I start with who do you like, love to work with? Who do you not love to work with? What is your end goal? A lot of times for me, it's like, if you don't have like an end strategy, like, do you want to fill your book of business? Do you want to get more of these types of clients? Do you want to have a retainer business or a one and done? I start to ask about what is their vision so that we can work backwards in order to then develop a client journey a customer journey, patient journey. Uh, those are all different ways that we work with people. But if my, if I get on a cold call and I can already tell that the person doesn't even have an idea, they're going to be a little bit harder for me to work with because they haven't even thought through why do they want to create content online if they don't even know what it is that they want to do next. So Veronica, so what I'm for you, there's no such thing as a cold call because you would have done your research before. So Absolutely. at the very least, it's lukewarm if not war. Yes. So what I'm hearing you say, and just make sure I'm understanding this, is that what you strive to do is understand as much as you can before you even meet with your potential client. Mm-hmm. And at mm-hmm. that point, then it's up to the conversation, how it flows, what you hear from them is how exactly. you can best help them out. 
And I understand that because that makes a lot of sense because you don't want to be the so-called bull in the China shop and say it's my way or the highway. You want to basically understand who it is they are, where they're going, and how best they want to go forward. Is that kind of what I'm hearing? Absolutely. And I will also share that through my scheduling link, I have a, I use Acuity scheduling for people to book time with me. Right. And anytime that they book that, it's already embedded with Zoom. So they get the link, but they also get an intake form. Even for a 20 minute, you know, free consultation, they're already getting an intake form that has them fill things out. And just by the mere fact that they're reading that question and having to think about it and answer it already gets them in that mindset of, okay, I got to think this through. Maybe I'm not ready, or we're going to talk this through. And I can be a lot more pointing about the questions I'm going to ask Veronica when I show up. Yeah, that makes a, a lot of sense. I do the same with buyers and sellers in my M&A business. Um, I need to understand what the seller's objective is. I need to understand what the buyer's objectives is, what the buyer's objectives are. And you got to put those two together. Sometimes the fit doesn't work and you move on. Sometimes the fit is above exactly. and beyond what you think. So I, I totally hear what you're saying. Exactly. Uh, I'm sorry to say we're almost out of time, but is there <laughs> anything that during our Q&A here that uh, we talked about that we didn't cover that you want to get out as a message to our audience? You know, sometimes I think that we get so much advice from different people and it starts to become white noise and you kind of disregard it. And I will say this, you have to kind of get to the point where you trust yourself, experiment with things, and then know when it's time to get some expert advice or expert help. And if people are, there's so many resources out there, they really are. And it could also get overwhelming. So maybe ask somebody for either a, like a referral for someone that you could speak to. It doesn't mean that you're committing to a long-term relationship. It just means that maybe you can have a conversation, but it can be overwhelming when you're asking way too many voices for their opinion. So trust yourself Know that there's a lot of resources that you can try and experiment with. Don't be afraid to experiment and show up and, you know, what is that? Tweak and repeat. And then when it comes time when you're feeling like, I don't know what the heck I'm doing, start looking around for an expert that has been where you are that's ahead of you and get their help. I agree. I totally agree. You know, many of us uh, unfortunately think that, you know, we've learned so much and we know the right way, but uh, I'm telling you, quite frankly, if it wasn't for my children, I would not know how to pay electronically. And uh, so I mean, it comes in all shapes and sizes, all ages, all experience, all industries, all professions. There's always something that you can learn. And I get a sense that, Veronica, you do that from all the people you touch, you give and you get, right? Yes, that's it. You give and you get, you get what you give. Absolutely. Now we have one last question to ask you because some people here are going to want to learn a little bit more about you. So how do we go and get in touch with you? Where can you send them to on the web or telephone number or email? Tell me what you want them to know. Absolutely. My central hub is my website, veronicasagastumi.com. And there all you can grab free resources or see my social media channels or just, you know, send me an email to info at veronicasagastumi.com. I love questions. I still answer every single email that I get, not right away, but I do answer them. <laughs> well, that's good to know. Thank you so much for your time, Veronica. Thank I very you, much Steve. appreciate the insights you shared and uh, thank you again. Take care. You too. The Building Better Business Podcast is the best place to learn how to take your business to the next level. It's no longer enough to earn good profits. You need to develop a network of connections as well as use all types of marketing to your advantage that will put you over the edge. Hosted by me, Steve Eschbach, a financial executive with decades of experience in dealing with businesses and business people, 
we'll learn how this all comes together. Join me and my expert guests as we delve into the many facets of owning the business and how to become a good, caring business owner. Listen how making a difference in your community can attract all sorts of clientele, which in turn will build you a better business.